Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And we're sisters, and we love you guys, and we've missed you. Well, you've heard us more recently, but we haven't recorded in a while because we took a pause, so this is a very exciting moment for us. Uh, It's very good to be back, and we're very excited to talk to you about some murder. Yay! I mean, boo! Boo! Yeah. (laughs) Sideways thumb. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's probably just a down thumb. Down, you're right. You're probably right. <laughs> anyway, I will shut up and let you take it away. All right. So on May 16th, 2004, Peter Spitz thought life was good. The past four years he'd been married to his wife, Teresa, had been the happiest he'd ever known. The couple, along with their eight-month-old son, Lee, which is not his real name, had just moved back to Colorado from Wisconsin to take care of Peter's mom, Mariko Shida. Mariko had a history of tuberculosis, but was still quite active. The move had involved finding new jobs and scrimping a bit, but things were picking up. Teresa had hired on with a truck leasing company that allowed her to work at home much of the time, and Peter's income and hours as a local truck driver were improving. They were thinking about getting their own house. As Peter was busy planning for his family's future, his wife Teresa was planning for the short term, a list of things that she needed to accomplish that night. Number one, load gun, put in bathroom drawer. Number two, give baby a bath, write letter, pack diaper bag. Three, get money at ATM, drop off baby. Number four, kill Peter. Number five, call police. It's just an average, like, Tuesday, right? right? The house. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just in case you get those out of order, it's important to make a list. Right. So that you don't don't want to forget something. No, you don't want to kill the person before you do the bath. Right. Just really throws things off. Yep. May 17th, just before 4 a.m., Peter woke to find Teresa dressed. She told him she needed to go out for a diaper rash cream. She and the baby would run to the store and be right back. Peter rolled over and fell back to sleep. He had a few hours before his alarm for work would go off. What he didn't know is that Teresa set the clock back to be sure he wouldn't wake up before she came back. She didn't want him to make it to work that day. I'm so nervous. Teresa drove her son to her close friend's house, Don and Sheila Reynolds. She told Sheila that Peter was having chest pains. Would they mind looking after Lee while she ran to the hospital? Mm. After Teresa left, Sheila Reynolds discovered that Teresa had brought not only an unusually hefty load of diapers and other baby care items, but Lee's social security card and medical paperwork as well. Also in the diaper bag was $500 in cash, some jewelry, a diary, and a letter giving the Reynolds custody of the child. What? Mm -hmm. She made it back to the house shortly after five and took the loaded gun from the bathroom. Peter was still sleeping. She put a pillow over his face and fired. She started to leave, but she heard screaming behind her. She went back and shot him in the face again. This time she made it to the stairs, but there was still noise coming from the bedroom. And now her mother-in-law was calling from downstairs, wondering what was going on. Oh my God. 
She went back to the bedroom. Peter was crawling on the floor, moaning. She shot him in the right temple, then headed downstairs. Oh, my God. Later, the police would not be able to determine if Mariko knew she was in danger and was trying to flee the house, or if she was trying to find her glasses before calling 911. Either way, Teresa caught up with her in the kitchen and shot her in the back of the head. Jesus. She died instantly. Mariko was 78 years old. Ugh. Teresa went outside to her car and called the police. She gave them her address and said shots had been fired. When the dispatcher asked her her name, she hung up. A few minutes later, she walked into the Inglewood Police Department and handed the empty revolver to an officer in the lobby. A detective took her into an interview room and advised her of her rights. Teresa declined to answer questions and asked for a lawyer. But she did have a question of her own. Quote, are they both dead? She asked. It turned out she'd only been successful killing one of her victims. The police had received two 911 calls from the 2900 block of South Cherokee that morning. One had been the hang-up call about shots fired. The other had come from a badly wounded Peter Spitz. What is going on? Most of what I'm going to talk to you about tonight came from an article in Westward titled Blindsided, written by Alan Pendergrast. Quote, he awoke in fear and excruciating pain, pain that couldn't be stopped or understood. His mouth was on fire. He thought he was having a stroke, an aneurysm, some terrible eruption inside of his head. He heard a loud noise, not a gunshot, but the sound of a giant ball bearing being dropped through a lead pipe. And with the noise came another brilliant blast of pain in his left eye. Mm. He, he fell out of bed and screamed for Teresa to help him. The pain hit him again, this time on the right side of his head. He crawled in agony across the floor, groping for a phone. The police found him there, still calling out for help and bleeding profusely. He passed out as they put him in the ambulance. Jesus Christ. No, man. Peter was put into a medically induced coma for four days. When he finally woke up, everything was dark. He learned he survived three gunshot wounds to the head. His upper airway and optic nerve were destroyed. He now had to breathe through a tracheostomy tube and was permanently blind. Wow. Yeah. He would need multiple massive facial reconstruction surgeries. I bet. I mean, like, I, yeah. you can survive point blank range, three gunshots to the head. Yeah. How, I, I don't know, man. That is a lot. That is a yeah. lot. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like one, I understand, but three Yep. <laughs> Holy man. No. I know. Horrifying. Horrifying. Especially like asleep. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Two Inglewood detectives came to talk to him. Quote, they were trying to tell me something, but they didn't want to say it, Peter recalls. Finally, I asked them about my mom, and they told me she didn't live. I asked them what happened, and they told me that they believed my wife did it. Mm. He couldn't believe it and became furious with the detectives. In his mind, there was no way Teresa would do something so horrible. They loved each other. She adored his mother. The detectives were sure of their facts. She turned herself in and gave them the murder weapon. Jesus, can you imagine? No. I like the person I rely on the most by mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. They just shot me in my sleep. Yeah. And you yep. have to go through all of this alone and then knowing that they betrayed you. and Yeah, awful. Awful. While laying in his hospital bed, he looked back on his life and his relationship with Teresa. Everything had been going so well. What had he missed? What was the evil he'd failed to see? So monstrous that it had cost his sight and his mother's life. Mm. Peter was born in Michigan, but raised all over the country. His father was a political science professor. They spent his childhood moving from one college town to another. Unlike his dad, Peter cut his high school education short and joined the Marines. He served four years and then, in 1983, went into the reserves as a recruiter. Another recruiter and drinking buddy named Harry had married a woman who had children from a previous marriage. Peter liked Harry's stepkids, one in particular, 10-year-old Teresa. She was quiet and obedient, bright and funny. Peter didn't really like the way Harry treated her. Harry was a bit of a bully, but he didn't think it was his place to speak up. As the years passed, Peter and Harry drifted apart. Peter had three children with his first wife, and their marriage fell apart. He got a divorce and became a long-haul trucker. 
One day in 1997, he dropped in on his old pal, Harry in Kansas. It had been several years since he'd seen him. He also saw Teresa again. This time, she was a completely different person from the kid he knew years ago. She was now 18 and gorgeous. Peter was 36, had been divorced for 10 years, and was lonely. The two clicked. Peter thought Teresa had a great sense of humor and described her as intelligent, beautiful, and outgoing. They started dating a year later when Teresa was 19. They moved in together quickly. Members of both families were not happy with the relationship. They could not get over the age difference. Some people thought Peter was intent on rescuing her from bad previous relationships where she was mistreated. How many bad relationships could you have at the age of 18? (laughs) That's an excellent question. Right? (laughs) Yes. Well, she dated Daryl from age 12 to 14. (laughs) That guy was real bad news. Uh, Quote, there was a lot of opposition, Peter admits. People just don't know us. I think she was looking for someone she could trust, a confidant. I had a great deal of respect for her, and I was madly in love with her. The typical crazy guy in love. They got engaged and started driving trucks together. They made good money and soon had their own long-haul truck. Peter's trucker pals considered him to be the luckiest guy in the world. Teresa was not only young but sharp, and a real sweetheart too. The kind of person who handed out change and bottles of water to the homeless. She could really light up a room. They were married on August 5th, 2000. Quote, it was a picture-perfect wedding, recalls John Hunter, who was the best man. They seemed to be a good fit, and Peter's mother seemed happy for both of them. The plan was to drive a few more years, but then Teresa got pregnant, and Peter's mother's health took a bad turn. Peter says Teresa insisted they move to Inglewood to take care of her. Quote, they got along famously. Teresa even said, I love your mother more than I love my mom. Wow. Yep. The move was stressful. New baby, new jobs, tight finances. But before Teresa snapped, the situation had been getting better. Peter didn't consider the short-term problems to be a big issue at all. Peter admits the more he thought about it, the more he came to realize that Teresa didn't see herself the way others did. She had been an A student, a high achiever at everything she took on, but she seemed to lack confidence in herself and all that she did. He could never understand why someone so smart and attractive would have such lousy self-esteem, but she did. How old is she at this point? Do you know? Sorry. Early 20s, right? Yeah. 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 So 2000. I think they met in 97. She was 18. So. 21. Yeah. Just at the most. Tiny kid. Mm -hmm. When he first started dating her, she seemed to be under the impression that she had to sleep with guys in order for them to like her. Mm -hmm. Once early on, they'd argued and almost broke up. In a particularly dark mood, Teresa had said, quote, I've always felt that someday I'm going to destroy everything I love. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I've never felt that way. No, no. <laughs> the words hadn't meant much at the time, but they had stuck with him now. Jesus. Many of her issues seemed to stem from her troubled childhood, which Peter learned about in bits and pieces over the years. Her biological father was an abusive man who'd split before Teresa was old enough to remember him. Mm-hmm. Shortly before the wedding, he'd sent an email threatening Peter and warning him to stay away from his daughter. Oh, no. Yeah. Quote, I turned that over to the Inglewood police, Peter says. He was living in Arizona at the time and was a registered sex offender. Oh, no. Her mother had remarried twice before Peter's friend Harry. There had been another stepfather in California. One of Teresa's earliest memories was of discovering her stepfather's nude body in a pool of blood. (gasps) What? He was dead from a gunshot wound to the head, which police ruled an accident or suicide. Oh, no. Yeah. Teresa was just shy of three years old. The next door neighbors found her there covered in blood trying to wake him up. Oh, my God. I I mean, that's enough to split your personality in two. Right. Plus a sex offender father. Like, Mm -hmm. Jesus. In the weeks before the shooting, Peter had woken up in the middle of the night a couple of times to find Teresa crying in bed. She told him she'd been having nightmares about stabbing him. Mm-mm. Yeah, it sounded disturbing, but not like she was afraid that it was actually going to happen. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. If Laura... He suggested she talk to her doctor about it, but she insisted that it was just a dream. Teresa's trial began in October 2005. 
Because of a lack of clear motive for the shootings, the question of Teresa's mental state became the focus of the trial. The answer to that question came down to two psychologists with very different opinions on what was going on with Teresa the night she shot Peter and murdered his mother. I'm dying to hear what they have to say. I'm over here playing like, (laughs) which personality disorder did she develop through childhood trauma? Because holy shit. Right. The first doctor to examine Teresa was Robert Miller, a forensic psychiatrist at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. He was a former chief of psychiatry for the state prison system and often testified for the prosecution. But this time he concluded that Teresa had suffered a genuine psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. The night of the shootings, she was operating under the influence of what Miller called, quote, command hallucinations, which related to the list that she had to accomplish. What do you know what a command hallucination is? So I assume that it's whether it's auditory, I would assume auditory, but she's being commanded by Uh a hallucination to do to complete the list that she wrote. Right. Like Son of Sam stuff, if that was real. Right. Teresa told him she'd been having, quote, bad thoughts for some time about hurting herself for her loved ones. The thoughts may not have been a full-blown auditory hallucination. Here we go. Voices in her head telling her what to do. Mm-hmm. But Miller believed she was powerless to resist them. Right. She had considered suicide, but then the thoughts had focused on killing Peter, which she believed would be an even greater punishment for her than her own death. Oh, my God. Uh, mm-hmm. Holy shit. I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. When Miller asked if she thought killing her husband was wrong, Teresa told him that, quote, it was better for Peter because he was a very sad man and would be happier in heaven where God would give him peace. Wow. Yeah. The second doctor who evaluated Teresa at the state hospital disagreed with Miller about the degree of her psychosis or whether she was, quote, powerless to resist the impulse to kill. The same list that Miller considered an example of her insanity was used by prosecutors as proof that Teresa had planned and carried out her crime methodically, knowing exactly what she was doing and what the result would be. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, it was (laughs) clearly premeditated, but in the weirdest fucking way, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you write down your murder list, Mm -hmm. that's super spooky that's Mm -hmm. not normal premeditation right right and so organized with the baby stuff and the yeah i mean i've heard about people doing stupid shit like making a list of the murder supplies that they need to get or so you know like Mm -hmm. but not just blatantly laying out the night and when in the order of mundane tasks they're going to murder the person it really 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 spooks me out Mm mm-hmm Teresa not only removed her son from the house before her rampage, but looked up the address of the Inglewood police headquarters so she'd be prepared to turn herself in, a good indication that she was aware of the criminal nature of her actions. While the experts debated her culpability, Peter had no doubts. The Teresa he knew would never hurt him or his mother. She adored them both. She must have suffered a psychotic break. A restraining order had been issued, forbidding contact between Teresa and Peter, But six months after the shooting, when she was sent from the jail to the mental hospital for evaluation, Peter called her. Quote, she was pretty shocked that I called, he says. We talked a lot. She was definitely expressing remorse. She hated herself and she didn't understand why I was calling, why I was supporting her. Mm. But I didn't want a divorce. I know it sounds crazy, but we talked about staying together and working through it. What? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. The two started communicating regularly. Teresa's letters, which were covered with smiley faces and hearts, said things like, quote, I have two poems that I've written over the past year just for myself to purge thoughts or emotions. One is really dark and personal, and it makes me a bit scared showing it to you. You're my best friend and husband, but it's hard for me to reveal the sickness to you of all people. I want to take care of you and protect you from any more horrors. Babe. Thank you for still believing in me and supporting me. I'm trying to do right and hang on. Wow. You know, it's so wild. So wild. Wow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, if I really believed that my spouse actually had a psychotic break, which it sounds pretty convincing that she did. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, killing my mom, throwing that into the mix, mm-hmm. that would put a little bit of a wrench mm-hmm. in my love for the person, but... Shit, I don't know. That's something I'm going to have to think about. I know. You know? so wild. Yeah. 
Well, and especially like if you're going through the hardest, worst thing that you've ever gone through, is like I said before, I would not want to do that without the love of my spouse, you know? Like, I think probably it's easier in some ways to believe it's a psychotic break than like she planned this. Like, what, yes. You know? Like, it would be much easier to be like, okay, this is why it happened and it's an illness and right. not that she's just a crazy psychopath that right. up and decides to kill him and his mom. Yeah. For no reason. Right. And I don't know if we're there yet if I'm jumping the gun, but was there any evidence of an affair or anything like that? Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay, I'll keep quiet. <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah. Uh, Peter offered to assist Teresa's defense in any way he could. His willingness to help amazed her attorneys and appalled some of his friends and relatives. Quote, I always supported Pete, but I could never understand his unquestioning devotion to her after the shooting, says mm. his friend, John Hunter. Yeah, can you imagine? No, no. <laughs> it's like if my friend's boyfriend calls her fat or something, I'm like, done mm. forever. Never, <laughs> no, no, not talking to them. Like, let alone shoots them in the face and then murders their mother. Right, yeah. Jesus. Real hard, hard. Uh... No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. People told Peter he was too forgiving. Quote, I'm not a forgiving guy, he says, but you don't have to forgive somebody for being ill. If she'd been driving a car and had a brain aneurysm and my mother had been killed and I'd been injured, would I have to forgive her for that? That's pretty good perspective if we're talking about actual mental illness. Right. You know, I don't yep. disagree with that. Right. The decision to support his wife came with a price. Peter's son was still in the care of the Reynolds, who had obtained a court-appointed guardianship while Peter was recovering from his injuries. As a defense witness, Peter could have little contact with his son, since the guardians were listed as witnesses for the prosecution. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Oh, I get it. He can't have contact with them. Right, because they're... They're on the other side. Right. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and I think in an article, the Reynolds are her aunt and uncle, but through marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a tricky... They're not right. like family blood related but they're right. like family friends got it yeah his defiance of the no contact order with teresa led to heated words with the prosecutors one of whom threatened to charge him as an accessory after the fact what mm -hmm. peter began to feel as if he and teresa were quote the two most hated people in colorado fuck wow poor peter poor peter at trial, the defense presented witnesses who testified about Teresa's troubled childhood, including the violent scene of her stepfather's death. But even Miller, the psychologist, the defense's own expert, was skeptical of her claim to have a direct memory of the event, mm -hmm. as well as the suggestion that such an early trauma could trigger some form of post-traumatic stress. I don't think that's accurate, right? No, I mean, that's like, that's how, that's... when I was reading that, I felt the same way, but then I was like, you know what, like, that guy's like an expert in his field, so I should probably step back. No, listen, I watched Dexter, <laughs> and we all know how Dexter became a killer, <laughs> sitting in his mom's blood. So That guy's wrong. That guy is wrong. <laughs> he needs to watch Dexter and then restart his practice. Yeah. Shit. I know. I do, I do think that probably uh, we don't give enough, not probably, I don't think we give enough credit to early childhood trauma. I, I mean, I'll I think just it's, say that right now. But, yes, yeah. I would. I would argue, as a professional Dexter watcher, <laughs> that like ninety nine percent of our problems come from things that happened to us before the age of like five. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whether you can remember them or not, but well, I think that's part of the problem. Like you can't access the memory, so you don't really have mm -hmm. any control over it. You just have this feeling and you don't know where it comes right. from. And it's just like persistent and fucked up. And right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I will, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit that I'm not a, I did not go to school. I do not have a degree mm -hmm. in psychiatry or psychotherapy or anything, right. but I don't know. Like yeah, I'm I give a little side, a little too. side eye to that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I read that and I was like, nah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. While the defense argued for a history of depression and emotional and financial pressures leading to a psychotic break, the prosecution tried to present a portrait of a rational, calculating killer whose alleged personality defects, narcissism, sociopathy, a distinct lack of sympathy for her victims, were untreatable. 
the prosecution's case was severely damaged by Peter when he took the stand. Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed to plead directly for mercy, but his tearful, loving account for his life with Teresa prior to the shooting certainly helped sway the jury. Yeah, I bet. The jury deliberated for 10 hours and came back with the verdict, not guilty by reason of insanity. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Instead of prison, Teresa would be sent to the Colorado Mental Health Institute at Pueblo. It's going to be CMHIP from mm. here on out. Mm-hmm. Until such time as she was considered no longer a danger to the public. Fuck. So now we sort of move into Anthony Montwheeler territory. Yeah, so man. They have a similar system. In I Oregon. love this case. <laughs> I do, and I cannot get... I realized, sorry, That's but okay. I realized... Um, I was watching something and they were like, why do we like true crime? Oh, Reddit. I was watching Reddit. I was also known as reading Reddit. And <laughs> somebody was like, why do you like true crime? And I was like, I, it's something I think about all the time. But I, mm-hmm. I realized that it's because I the psychology behind it. Like mm-hmm. I just love to figure out why people do things. I always say I have to know the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, no, I have the same feeling. I, I read the article and I was like, oh, God, this is so good. But it felt too similar in some ways to the case that we covered recently yeah but i could not stop thinking about it and i thought i finally was like all right we'll just that's okay we'll yeah. do more mental health fuck yeah yeah do it for me thanks do it for the world i will so after the trial details about Teresa started to emerge that troubled peter during the months she spent in jail Teresa was romantically involved with two other female inmates mm-hmm. she later admitted both relationships to peter one of the women even stayed with him briefly after being released. Oh, no, Peter. I know, buddy. Oh, some codependency issues. Major yeah. time. Big time. Before he realized that Teresa's, quote, friend was something more than that. Oh, I'm sorry. So she stayed with him after uh, she was released uh, before he realized that there was something okay. more going on. Okay. So sorry. he just got yeah. played. Okay. Yes. She was also caught stealing money from Peter. So he asked her to leave. Yeah. Teresa's friend then moved in with Peter's next-door neighbor, Chris and Tanya Martinez, uh, for a few months until they also asked her to leave. Yep. They kept some of the woman's property for background. Among the items were drawings and letters from Teresa, which they read with increasing alarm. Oh, boy. One letter gave a detailed account of the night of the shooting. Mm. Quote, I know. Quote, it was like reading a novel, Martinez says. There was a lot of planning. I don't think she intentionally meant to murder Peter's mom. In the letter, she showed a lot of affection toward her. But she said, quote, that bitch walked out at the wrong time. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. She continues, quote, she wrote that she's going to get out and finish the job that she was meant to do. She said she wants Peter dead. Simple as that. She was unhappy for a very long time with Peter. I think she wanted a woman, basically. And she said she had another person in her head, a little boy talking in her head. <gasps> I wish she got like a clenchy teeth emoji 100% right now. But uh, I've never sat up so straight my entire life either. <laughs> Holy shit. I know. Oh my god, a little boy talking inside your head is so creepy. <laughs> god, like how many true crime cases have we covered and how many of them actually like affect me? This one's really kind of fucking with me. <laughs> you know, it's really getting under my skin. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Shit. Uh, Psychiatrists on both sides of the Spitz case ruled out any possibility of multiple personality disorder. But Martina says Teresa's friend claimed to have met the little boy when the pair sailed together. Mm. Quote, she said sometimes they'd be talking and the little boy would come out and start cussing her out that she was a bitch and that if she fucked with her, she'd kill her too. Mm. And she'd just say, Teresa, tell the little boy to go to sleep. What <laughs> the fuck? Mm-hmm. They actually showed this letter to the defense. Mm-hmm. But nothing was ever done with it. Really? Mm-hmm. The defense. I don't know why they didn't give it to the prosecution. Um, oh, so. right. To the defense. Yeah, because Peter was working with the defense. Whoa. But I don't know. Yeah, so nothing nothing came of the letter. Uh, after she'd been at the state hospital for a year, Teresa filed for divorce and petitioned the court to change her name. Quote, she told me that it was part of her therapy, Peter recalls and that changing her name would make it easier for her when she got out. As slow as I am, that's probably when it dawned on me that it was over. Mm-hmm. 
After her sentencing, Teresa spent less than five months in a maximum security forensic unit. She was then moved to one that falls somewhere between intermediate and minimum security. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? She... Five months. What? She went from being highly monitored in all of her activities to what's known as ONGU, or On Grounds Unsupervised Privileges, meaning that her movements were far less restricted or observed. How is that possible? Don't know. It's like the fact that that guy who chopped up, macheted the guy to death Mm -hmm. on the Greyhound is free? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. No, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. Yeah, it's such a fine line. I I guess... makes me want to learn more about like what what is it that the professionals like the mental health professionals deem right safe like i don't i don't know how you ever decide that someone's been treated for mental illness and is safe to re-enter society i I mean i think if you killed somebody you probably should just stay in a hospital forever you know like you need Mm -hmm. that treatment it's Mm -hmm. not appropriate for you to be in jail but you still shouldn't just get to go home or go mm-hmm. to like easy hospital right. <laughs> you know right. what i mean like mm-hmm. if you've killed somebody and then and permanently blinded somebody else you should probably stay where you are and right. get get help for sure but yeah. I, I, my mind is blown i know len has taken many classes and participated in therapy sessions she became a quote peer coach in a program that allows her to mentor other patients Quote, she's pleasant and displays a good sense of humor with both patients and staff. Reads one report. It continues, she has demonstrated both that she's responsible and a good role model for her peers. In Colorado, the average length of stay for a patient found not guilty by reason of insanity is less than nine years. What? Mm-hmm. Teresa has an email account, a cell phone, and other privileges. Aside from a couple of reported incidents in which she was observed, quote, attempting to engage in sexual activity with a male peer, she has no history of misconduct and isn't considered an escape risk. She was eventually granted, quote, temporary physical removal status, allowing her to leave the hospital on shopping trips and other community outings, Mm-mm. provided that she stay within five feet of a staff member at all times. Mm-mm. The CMHIP program directors have supported Teresa's efforts to resume, quote, her role as a parent, despite the fact that she admitted to Miller and others that she'd had, quote, bad thoughts about hurting Lee, too. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. A few weeks before the shootings, she'd even contemplated drowning him, an incident Peter didn't find out about until after the trial. No. Yes. Quote, she'd been giving him a bath and she let him slip under the water, Peter says. I'm not clear on what happened next. Teresa told me that my mom asked from another room if she needed any help and it startled her. She also said that the baby was smiling from under the water because he thought she was playing. Then she pulled him out. Uh, Just add that to the list of things that creep me out about the story. Uh, Yes, (laughs) big time. Like, what the fuck? You're hitting all my points right now. Mm-hmm. Bring me back to the 1978 movie, The Changeling. <laughs> George C. Scott. You're Guys, so right. watch it. Yeah, you're so right. Creep fest. Mm-hmm. Teresa was allowed regular supervised visits with Lee, either in the hospital or on trips to the Denver area, accompanied by a hospital staffer. She has never been left alone with him. Don Reynolds, who is Lee's guardian, says that he's seen nothing in Lynn's interactions with her son that could contradict the positive review of her from her treatment team. Quote, I talk to her and her therapist regularly, he says. When someone is doing everything they can do to get better, I think they should also be able to take the next step. Is it too soon? I don't know, but it's not up to me to judge on that. On the flip side, Peter, remember the victim? Right. The person who lost his mother and his face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was denied any access to his son for more than a year. What? Yep. Why? <laughs> After the trial, he saw Lee regularly and often had him for an entire weekend. But his relationship with Don and Sheila became strained with disagreements over whether he can provide a, quote, suitable environment for his son. Mm-mm, no. Mm hmm. Peter sought to terminate the guardianship at one point, arguing that he was capable of raising his son entirely. Of course he is. Yep, of raising his son entirely by himself, but the judge rejected the motion. You're fucking kidding me. No. 
That sounds like the most illegal thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Just because I mean, he's his only his uh, yeah his only disability is being blind is he's that he's blind. That I am furious right now. <laughs> you should You're be <laughs> fucking kidding me. No, I'm laughing because I'm horrified. Yes, yeah. it's it's awful. Awful. Mm-hmm. This part. Oh my god. This man gets traumatized and blinded, and then you take his son away because yeah. he's blind. Yep. You ready for some more? Yes. Then Peter's visits were cut off entirely Mm-mm. based on a therapist's recommendation that the move would be in the best interest of his son. Quote, I was told he was having difficulty transitioning between us, Peter says. When he's with me, he's great. But they say he's throwing tantrums when he gets back to them. Whoa! Oh, my God! Break, break, break. You're fucking kidding me. No. No. Be- yeah, oh my god, he's throwing tantrums because he wants to be with his father, you fucking mind people. Uh, yeah, right? I know. Wow. Uh, there, yeah, gets even better. Oh no. The therapist never bothered to observe or evaluate Peter's interactions with Lee. I might vomit. Yep. People who have spent time with the two of them described him as a doting father and says that Lee thrives with him, taking his blindness in stride and eagerly guiding him while out in public. Adding even more insult to injury, Teresa was allowed to testify at a custody hearing and told the judge that she was concerned that Peter, the man she tried to kill, might harm Lee, the son she tried to drown in the future. I am so speechless. (laughs) I know. It's just like the craziest, most awful shit. I'm so speechless. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? I burn the motherfucker down. Burn the motherfucker down. Defund the police. Defund the courts. (laughs) Defund the state of Colorado. I know. God. Quote, Teresa stood up in court and accused me of being a child molester, Peter says. Oh, no. The allegation apparently stemmed from an email exchange that the two had had in which Spitz wrote something about how he was so lonely he might be reduced to cruising nursing homes or buying an, quote, underage girl in Latin America. Yeah, which is off-color joking, of course. Of course. Uh, Peter says, but it wasn't unusual in their communications. Right. Fuck. Um, Yeah. The accusation didn't go anywhere, but it was the last straw for Peter. He keeps contact with Teresa to a minimum. Quote, what I've seen over the years is that she's totally focused on herself, he says. She wants her freedom. She really thinks she's going to be back in her son's life. But she's been so vindictive and dishonest. She's been working very hard against me, and she's never defended me when I needed her. Mm-hmm. She also shot you in the head three times. Yeah, and, and killed, killed your mother. mother. Yep, and tried to drown your son. Yep. In April of 2011, despite Peter's objections, Teresa was granted a conditional release from the state hospital. More breaking. What the fuck? Yep. She was now allowed unsupervised trips off the grounds, and they were working to find community placement for her. Mm-hmm. In July of 2011, after seven years apart, Peter was finally able to regain custody of his son. You've got to be kidding me. Nope. Don and Sheila admitted to allowing Teresa to have overnight visits with Lee. The judge terminated the guardianship and gave Peter full custody of his son. Oh my God. They only gave him the custody because the other people fucked up? Yep. Oh my God. After the hearing, Don Reynolds announced that the couple had planned to appeal the hearing. He argued that he and his wife were the only, quote, parents that their son knew. The couple was in the process of adopting the child before the judge ruled against them. That is so awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as I can tell, the appeal never never happened, didn't go anywhere. Thank God. Yeah. Peter said that when he and his friend went to pick up his son after the court ruling, quote, we were told that Teresa was curled up in a ball in the corner of the basement and unable to return to the mental hospital in Pueblo, 100 miles away, per doctor's orders. So there she is, like, in the kid's house, curled up on the floor of the basement. Wait, I don't, I missed something, I think. So Peter says that when he went to go pick up his kid uh-huh. after the hearing, that right. Teresa was there in the house. I she had see. been let out at this point. And so and she's at the Reynolds house creep, creeping in the basement. Like laying on the floor, can't get up, and isn't able to drive herself back to the hospital. Where the doctors said, okay, got to come back. Uh-huh. And she, couldn't, she couldn't manage to do it. Jesus. Yeah. 
So unfortunately, I couldn't find any updates on Teresa after <laughs> t- 2011. There's just nothing. Like I, wow. I hear that maybe her name has she changed her uh-huh. last name again. Uh huh. I assume that she's still under the supervision. You know, I don't think she's been released from the mental hospital altogether. Right. Um, so I think it's probably just sort of status quo for her that she's still under the care, but allowed to do as she pleases, more or less. Wow. And there's really nothing much more out there about Peter and Lee either. Um, I did find Peter's Facebook page, and there's some younger pictures of his son. They look really happy. Mm -hmm. He has a guide uh, guide dog, Mm -hmm. beautiful German Shepherd. But it's after she was released and he was allowed custody of his son, then the report stopped, which I think is fine. Like, let's let father and son have their time together. I hope they were really able to move past all this terrible shit that Teresa oh, put them through. Oh, God. Well, and the kid was seven when he finally got, like, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that was in 2011. So he's, you Adult know, getting now. into, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty quick. He'll be grown up. Holy um, mazoli. So, yeah, there you have it, folks. Bravo. Yeah, figured out what I'm going to call this case, but I'll put a title with there somewhere. Just call it <laughs> Fuck Cakes. <laughs> there you go. It's the story of fuck cakes. Fuck cakes, <laughs> clenchy teeth emoji. <laughs> Holy fuck. Wow. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it sounds like she was just a horrible person. Like she was very deeply mentally ill, probably had a personality disorder or three, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like she just yeah. wasn't an innocent person that suffered a split. Right. Right. I, you know, it's so hard, I guess. And I don't know, like she was young. She was young. They didn't, mm-hmm. they weren't really weren't together for very long. Yep. You know, I think about the first few years of a relationship and it's easy to sort of like fill in the blanks. Yeah. Yeah. I also think about postpartum depression. Right. Psychosis. Right. You know, Lee was eight months old when this happened. So it's still within the realm of that possibility that Good maybe point. added yep. to layers of other mental illness and trauma yeah but it definitely seems like she was taking advantage of peter if not in their relationship for sure afterwards absolutely as soon as she got what she needed from him in the trial then she just hung him right on out to dry right on out to dry wowzers yep yeah good one bravo i enjoyed it yeah It sounds weird to say. I know. Every yeah. time it sounds weird to say, but I enjoyed yeah. it intellectually. Not like... That's right. Right. Not like um, a peanut buster parfait. Right. Oh, man. I know. Now that I've said it, I can't take it back. God damn it. I was just going to like do that. curl up on the couch after this and eat the Chipotle I picked up on me. Oh, God. Courtney. What else can I say that will entice you? <laughs> <laughs> will ruin your night basically because that's all you'll want to eat yeah oh i know what i'm doing after this yeah anyway it's not about dairy queen or chipotle <laughs> there are no sponsors just kidding god <laughs> god help us if we ever get a chipotle or a dairy queen sponsor will you guys work for poo buster parfaits and <laughs> yes. sofritas salads a hundred percent mm-hmm well, fuck. That was a really good one. I Thank really you. enjoyed the journey, the f- <laughs> fucked up journey. I mm. really hope the best for Peter and Lee. And I hope that Laura never shoots me in the face while I'm sleeping three times. <laughs> me too. I mean, we're pushing nine years, eight and a half, nine years. So mm-hmm. you never know. You never know. We do have an age difference too. Uh-oh. Oh no! But no, you'd be the one shooting if that's the case. Oh, fine, we're good then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, fuck! Well, yeah. How's good. your week been? How's it going? Um, very. Uh, what's the word? Introspective. Very mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, very positive. Mm-hmm. I think that we are all feeling every emotion and thought simultaneously yes. right now, and I'm really good with that. I, um, exactly on the day that we recorded our last episode, I just had this sort of epiphany that comes, I think, with understanding privilege, like truly understanding it and the journey of truly understanding it. Cause I don't think I've arrived by any fucking stretch, but, mm-hmm. um, my moment was just that I'm just going to have to be uncomfortable, right. you know, 
probably forever. Right. And I realized that I have avoided things, um, things that could make the world a better place, could make people safer. And not entirely, but I've definitely kind of done things on my terms, you know, been an ally more on my terms. And I'm not, I don't want to do that anymore. So um, that was a big moment. It was very, very uncomfortable. I cried a lot. And that's okay too, because in that moment I was like, this is, this is it. This is it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that as white people, you know, I think in America, like the idea of comfort is just like, that is it, right? That's what we Mm -hmm. are all doing all the time. That's why we're working. That's why we buy shit. That's why we get the iced coffee and go to TJ Maxx, which I also fucking miss. You know, Mm -hmm. I love those things, Mm -hmm. but... I don't need those things. I don't need to be comfortable all the time, especially at the expense of other people. So if there's anything, the virus and this civil rights movement are teaching me, it's that I need to get my priorities straight Mm -hmm. and I need to put other people first more and I need to be brave And that a lot of the decisions that I've made in my life have been based on fear. And that fear is not real, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's been a good week because of that. So I'm really leaning into that, reading as much as I can, watching talks, Zoom talks between, you know, like Black Lives Matter founders of various chapters and just fucking educating myself and then taking that information and using it to educate others whenever I can. So it's been a good week. I would say that it's been a very good week. I feel, um, I don't know. I'm feeling very proud of our country and horrified at the same time, Mm -hmm. but, you know, really trying to focus on the pride and the bravery and how fucking amazing young people are in this country right now. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it was like just two or three episodes ago where we were like, God, I really hope millennials and Generation Z can fix this. And then, ba-ba, millions of them <laughs> in the streets, organizing, marching, fucking changing shit. So you're welcome, guys. I manifested that for y'all, for the world. God. Really, you're really, that's really important, Courtney. <laughs> I spoke it into existence. If that's, that's not right. some white girl shit right there, maybe okay, it, maybe it manifested it. It's maybe it's white down. privilege. Yeah. Um, no, I I am really I am just fully engaged, and I remain I will remain engaged. I think we said this last time too. Just like working on what I can do sustainably forever. You know what I can continue to do in my life to stand in solidarity with the movement, fix our shit. And make the world a better place. I think this we have a really a real opportunity. It's already happening, you know, slowly and incrementally. Yeah. We need bigger change, but um, we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think that's what's happening. That's why this is, you know, like the same thing that you just described is what I've been going through. Checking myself hard and realizing how much of a part of the problem I have been. Yep. And you know, just like, oh yeah, I'm, it's not, it's just not enough to be a nice person. That isn't enough. Right. No, it's not. uh, When you realize that, then the guilt and shame and sadness and yeah. And then you're like, all right, you know what? Oh, it's going to fucking rise up out of that and move on and take ownership of it and do better. Yeah. And be prepared for it. You know, when you Mm -hmm. feel defensive, that's your ego. It's not about you. It's not about you and your family. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not about me as an individual. It's about us collectively. And it's about people who haven't gotten the things that I've gotten in life for horrible, stupid, fucking superficial reasons. So when I feel defensive, when I feel uncomfortable, I'm looking at that, leaning into it, taking it apart and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, also like... It's just the rules are simple. The rules of being an ally are simple and I've rejected them Mm -hmm. because of my ego. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just constantly going back to that simple set of rules. You know, don't center yourself. Don't make it about you. Mm -hmm. Don't show receipts. You know, like when I have the urge to do those things, I just don't fucking do them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just that simple. (laughs) Yeah. And talking about how it's been like this huge change all of a sudden, you know, really quickly and, Yep. Um, you know, it just seems to like 
be clicking. I hope it continues. But I was yes. thinking about uh, on one of your Facebook posts that you posted, our dear friend, uh, listener, Joe Bolinger. Hey, Joe. Hi, Joe. You, you, I know you're listening. Uh, he he wrote a comment. You had posted a big long list of all the things that had happened in just a few mm-hmm. weeks with the protests. And he says, there's a way that the public policy theorists talk about change called, quote, the punctuated equilibrium theory, which is basically change is rare. But when it happens, it happens in big leaps. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to see one of those leaps happening, quote, in, in parentheses, finally, on such a <laughs> life or death set of issues. Yes. And Joe's a super smart dude. So yep. when it comes from him, I'm like, yeah, man, I hope yeah. this is one of those leaps. Like, let's just do this, you guys, please. Yep. Yep. Enough is enough. Yeah, absolutely. And we are, yeah. we are, it is actually happening. And, you know, listening to founding members of Black Lives Matter say, like, nobody's liked us for eight years. Like, mm-hmm. nobody's mm-hmm. liked us. And here, and they're like, here it is. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I've learned, too, I've been reading a lot about is that, activists set things up for the long haul Mm -hmm. you know the idea being that you probably won't see the change that you are working toward in your lifetime and so i just have to commend the stamina the bravery the fucking Mm -hmm. intelligence the deep just love you know there's just so much love and care in this Mm -hmm. movement Mm -hmm. and it's so easy for us to get distracted by comfort it's really, my Instagram is uncomfortable right now. So I'm going to post a picture of a fucking cat or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that comfort just keeps drawing us back and drawing us back. And I think that that's just something to sort of, for me, you know, to meditate on. And it's not that we're not allowed to have it in our mm-hmm. lives, you know, that we need to stay uncomfortable all the time. But balancing those things and not just filling your life with constant comfort to avoid things that make you uncomfortable is probably a good practice. Right. You know, and not letting this be a passing fad. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So we've got everything we need to do it. And thank you to those who gotten us there. And thank you to those who will push us through to the future. Yep. We are here. Yep. We are here. We are here. We are absolutely here. And thank you to our beautiful listeners, man. You know, we, we, of course, we'll constantly sort of reassess our role in all of this and how we fit. But, you know, we've been pretty clear, I think, for the most part about how we feel about all of this. And y'all just stuck right the fuck in. (laughs) (laughs) I think you probably know at this point kind of, you know, where where we stand, but then we just turned it up quite a bit. and, And we got one message from somebody like cut out all this racial equality bullshit. Nope. Mm-hmm. No, it's um, not going to happen. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you all are all still there and, and growing. So that tells me a lot. Yeah. Um, that tells me a lot about the people listening, people who love true crime, the people in this country, how, you know, a huge group of strangers can all have the same thoughts and rally around the same thing and be so supportive and so outspoken. So keep it up. You guys, you're a beautiful, beautiful bunch. And we love you so much. We love you so much. Yep. And we've missed you and it's yeah. good to be back. Yep. I'm glad we took a little break and yeah, it was it's... definitely necessary. And yeah. And if we need to do it again, you know, if that's the, Fuck that's yeah. the thing, it's once again, it's not about us. Nope. It's about the, making this world a better place and making black lives safe. Yep. And more comfortable black lives need more comfort that's right we don't we don't need this much comfort no i'll get them tj maxx gift cards (laughs) fuck i was just gonna say though man i haven't been back to the to the tege since the virus hit i went went by the other day and there was a line down the fucking sidewalk and you know it's not like i need that in my life but i just live for the hunt it's like is Mm -hmm. it gonna be a cynthia rowley day or is it gonna be (laughs) like a pair of Vince pants for $30, <laughs> you know, like yeah. jackpot day. We just live in very different worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I'm just on this podcast. I paint such an interesting picture of myself. I'm such a, I really do embrace my basic side. Clearly <laughs> I am a little bit more complicated than that, but that's fine. <laughs> Don't get I think I also think that TJ Maxx is one of those places, one of those things that like most women can agree on, right? 
Yeah. Like, yeah. like most women can't resist the siren song of TJ Maxx. Like, right. Even Laura, who's, you know, like a fucking hot artist, you know, yeah. intellectual. Man, get her into a TJ Maxx and she, <laughs> she can't resist it. Right. No, it's the it's the stuff. it's the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. So right. so, so far we got TJ Maxx, Hello uh, Fresh, Chipotle, Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen. <laughs> I'm probably gonna uh, eat Chipotle and watch ridiculousness too <laughs> while listening to Justin Bieber. Damn it! Yeah, that's <sighs> that new man. album. Put it on. <laughs> T- try to find a better produced album. I dare you. You can't. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> shit. Um, we have patreon shout out yeah give them some new give patrons them. thank you so much to Alyssa mckee i think Yay. she might go by more now dear friend of ours and yes. uh not just a dear friend anymore but a true good old fan and listener of our show so thank you thank you so, so much. much and also to another dear friend of ours Jarrett Ferratusco. We love you so much, Jared. Thank you so much. Uh, he's a, an amazing photographer. Yep. His Instagram handle is Corpse on Pumpkin. Go check it if out. If you want to check it out. He's a he wonderful person. He did not pay person. us to say that. <laughs> nope. He was our roommate for... He was also our roommate in yeah. Portland in that house that we lived in with our friend Angela, who is also a Patreon supporter, right? Yep. Or she's just yes. a reviewer. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Supporter. Yep. So if you've lived with the ex-sisters... You, you are obligated to pay us money. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Not only did you have to put up with us as roommates, you now get to yeah. pay us money to talk. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, eighteen oh seven is one hundred percent represent. Well, not one hundred percent. No, well, house, but it was a big house, and it's been since been torn down, and condos oh, have been built. Oh God, that's so sad. So sad. Old Portland represent on our Patreon. <laughs> anyway, you guys. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We love you guys. Yep. And we we miss you, even though we've never met you. And mm-hmm. um, once this virus is passed, we'll f- figure out a way to change that. I know it. Meet and greets. Where we meet and greet you. <laughs> <laughs> meet and greets by nature. Uh, <laughs> just in case you were confused <laughs> they are what's the word i'm looking for they are they uh, consist of meeting and greeting <laughs> i will meet you you will meet me we will say hello uh, <laughs> oh find us on instagram at yeah. they will kill also facebook and twitter at they will kill uh check out our website they will you can always email us at they will kill podcast at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe, please. Yes. We'll yes do, maybe please. we'll read some reviews next time. Yeah, we can do that next time. Thank you, AJ Bergans, for our music. Thank you so much. It's still the best thing about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how many people just subscribe to listen to the first like 20 seconds and just turn it off. <laughs> I don't blame him, man. I don't, I don't either. At all. <laughs> I know sometimes I'll have a couple glasses of wine and just put it on repeat. Like, it's so uh, good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and remember, um, just check in with yourself and your discomfort and your ego. And mm-hmm. um, just look at the ways that you can look at the things you can set aside or share to benefit others. I think Absolutely. that's a, I think that's a good good thing for us all to be thinking about in this wildly dynamic horrible wonderful powerful time this is all happening for a reason and um you can choose to fight against it or you can choose to embrace it and usher in a new and better world love you guys heard it here first (laughs) (laughs) just kidding we didn't come up all right (laughs) thank you so much for listening <laughs> we, we invented this civil rights movement. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.